0: I love that worship, and it is so appropriate for what we're going to be talking about today, because we are going to be talking about the character of God. Lord, we thank you for these moments. We thank you for what you're doing here. We thank you, Lord, that we were able to gather here together with you. We ask that you open up our minds and our hearts to what you have for us. That no weapon formed, that no weapon formed, Lord, have dominion here. I pray these things in your name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Have a seat. Thank you. Yeah. Wow. Um, <laughs> it's interesting. I was feeling quite sleepy. Um, You know, I saw one of these memes on Facebook. It was like an Indian chief. And I guess the Indians didn't like the U.S. government too much, right? Because they'd broken all those treaties and were always going back on things. And apparently at one point, true story, they're explaining that on the reservation they're going to be observing daylight saving time. And the chief's response was, you know, I think government are probably the only people in the world who think you can cut off the top of a blanket... Take it, sew it at the bottom of the blanket, and think you have a bigger, longer blanket. So that's a, by the way, that's free. That's not part of my message. I just sort of popped into my head, and no charge for that. Um, but I did have a sense that today people might be a little groggy, so I decided to start with a little Q&A, a little interaction, and they're, they're going to be pretty easy questions. The first question is, who here in their heart of hearts thinks they're a pretty good person? Come on, let's see the hands. Come on, we're in church. You know, I think I'm a fantastic, I think I'm amazing. Now, Jan has probably a little more objective look at me uh, than I do, but I think we all think we're, deep down, we're a pretty good person. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. One is I think we always ascribe to our personhood our best intentions, our best thoughts, right? What we really are is that really good person who's always thinking wonderful things, not that Person who's thinking wicked, evil thoughts, wanting revenge and other stuff, right? That's not us. The other thing is, I think we're comparing ourselves to like Hitler. I mean, you know, I mean, he he massacred like 10 million people. I mean, I'm better than that guy. Or Osama bin Laden, you know, flew planes into into buildings and killed thousands of people. I mean, come on, I'm a pretty good guy compared to that. Or or maybe a little more relevant culturally and in time is like if you're a girl, maybe you're comparing yourself to, what, Kim Kardashian? I mean, you know, she's a mean, hateful, gossiping, lying witch who's like a super tramp. I mean, you know, who, who can't be better than that? And, but we guys have it, we have it even easier, right? Because we can compare ourselves to Charlie Sheen, whose life is a total disaster. So uh, that's, that's what we tend to do. And so, yes, we tend to think that we're pretty good folks. But, you know, I'm a trial lawyer. Uh, The Q&A is just beginning. The cross-examination is just starting. So maybe a couple more questions are in order here, all right? Who here has to admit that at some point in their life, they did something that they knew in their heart wasn't the right thing to do? Come on, every one of us. Don't lie. Get your hands up. All right. Who here at some point in their life did something that they know was really kind of unkind. Come on, see the hands. That's everybody, right? Okay, now those are a little bit more... I, I, the picture is starting to come in a little clearer, but let's try to get a little bit more objective. Let's use a list that's um, you know maybe came around about 3,000, 3,500 years ago. It's just a list of 10 items someone put in there, a guy called God. And let's see how we do with those. So... Who here has ever used God's name in vain? Now, before we answer that, you have to understand that what that really means is, doesn't mean just saying G-D, right? It means even using God's name in any way that doesn't bring him honor, that's used in a, in a vain way, a way that isn't worshiping him or ascribing him glory. That, that could mean like, oh, God, that's a tough standard. Oh, you just did it. That's using God's name in vain. Who's ever done that? Come on. I think everybody is at oh, God. All right? That's using God's name in vain. Strike one on the Ten Commandments. Number two, who here has ever failed to keep the Sabbath day holy? What that means is throughout that 24-hour period, you didn't worship God fully. You didn't keep your mind fully on God. Maybe you did a little work. Maybe you did a little something that wasn't honoring to God. Who's ever done that? Yeah, I think everybody. Okay, so that's strike two. All right, let's try another one. Okay, who here has ever failed to fully honor their mother and their father? And that means at any time in your life, you disobeyed them in any way or failed to give them full respect and honor. Let's see it. Okay, that's 0 for 4. Who here has ever had covetousness, ever envied, maybe envied somebody's body, maybe envied somebody they had? Come on, who here? Any slight envy at all? wow, you people are a train wreck, man. This is worse than I thought. That's oh for 5. All right, well, you get where I'm going, right? And we're laughing about this. But the truth of the matter is that those are 10 very simple, straightforward guidelines for us to follow. And we have all failed. And I think if I could go down, I believe every one of us has violated every single one of the Ten Commandments. And yes, I include murder. And the reason is, we all like to remember that Jesus said if you lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. He said that in the Sermon on the Mount. But he also said, if at any point in your life, you said either out loud or in your heart, idiot, moron, that is a level of hate that God equates to murder. And he says, if you've said idiot or murder in your heart, or idiot or moron in your heart, you've murdered someone. I believe everyone in here is guilty of breaking the Ten Commandments, every single one of them. And now the question becomes, I talked about the character of God in that beautiful song, Our Father, thy kingdom come. The question is, What? should he do about it? What should be his response to our sin and our rebellion? And that's really what this message is about today. And there's one point I want you to remember. And and, and as I can contemplate God's character, as that song made me contemplate the amazing character of God, the most precious part of his character is this one point that God is just and he justifies. To justify is a legal term means to declare not guilty. God figured out a way in his infinite wisdom and brilliance to be just, retain his justice, and to justify us, to declare us not guilty. Let's start with a word of prayer. Father, I do love your character, your awesome character, Father. I pray that that my humble words can somehow communicate the beauty, the, the breathtaking expanse and awesomeness and wonder of your character. Father, please, would you be here and use these meager words to communicate that and it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We are in a series called Limitless, and last week, Pastor Dave taught on John one fourteen, and that's a famous verse in the Bible, and it says that Jesus came full of grace and truth. And of course, Pastor Dave, one of the warmest, most loving guys in the world, taught on grace, and he gave mean old Al the assignment to teach on truth, okay? So I I'm going to do that. And we love to think about Jesus' grace, but so often we forget truth. I mean, we, we love that, that that amazing encounter with the adulteress. Remember, she's caught in adultery, and she's about to get stoned. And Jesus comes upon this scene, and he gives her forgiveness. But remember what he says right at the end, just as she's leaving. He says, go, and what? Sin no more. That is a standard that all of us have. Sin no more. That's God's standard of truth. And and as I began to, to contemplate this message and what I wanted to say about truth, here is the most important thing I wanted to say about truth. You can all go to hell. Now, if that offended you or made you angry... I have to tell you, that was Jesse's idea. It really was. That was Jesse's Jesse's idea. It was. But I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was inspired. I really did. Because, first of all, it gets your attention. But second of all, as you think about it, and, and as Jesse talked about it with me, he said, Al, you can say the same sentence. You can say it with hate and condemnation, or you can say it with love. So you can say, oh, you can all go to hell. That's the hate and the condemnation. Or you can say, there are certain truths in our faith. These are weighty. On these truths hang eternal destinies. So please listen. Or you can all go to hell. And I hope you hear the love in my heart. You can say that thing that, that sentence with love. And that's the way I feel today. I love Rock Hills. I love my friends here at Rock Hills. So often I'm, I'm sharing my faith. Most of you know I became a Christian at 37, and I just want to tell everybody. I just want to tell everybody because I think this is the most amazing thing that's ever happened to me. And I'll be sharing my faith, and almost universally I talk about Jesus, and no matter who it is, they love Jesus, okay? Oh, yeah, he's great. What a wonderful teacher. He was so loving. He was so warm. And all that's true. And then occasionally, not very often, but occasionally hell will come up in those discussions. And they're like, oh, how can you believe that? That's just so archaic. That's so mean-spirited. Well, the truth is that Jesus talked frequently about hell. I'll just give you two examples. One, Dave talked about last week, John 3.16. Does he mention hell in there? Well, he says, God so loved the world, gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not... Perish, but have everlasting life. So if you believe in Jesus, you have everlasting life. What happens if you don't believe in him? You perish. He's making a clear distinction there. And, and he talked about this frequently. I think one of the clearest is, I think we have uh, Matthew twenty-five forty-six. He's He's told this long parable. And it's all about some people are accepting his teaching and some people are rejecting it. And he ends the parable With these words, talking about those that rejected, then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Folks, this is not something I take joy in speaking about, this idea of hell, but it is one of the truths of our faith. And so when we are assigned to talk about grace and then truth, this is an important truth. Now, one of the things I want to make sure everyone understands, that God is just. And, and because there is, that you know, we started, and, and most people think they're a pretty good person, and I understand that, so do I. I really do think I'm a, generally a pretty good person. And so it's hard to feel the weight of this, that, that somehow we deserve punishment. So I wanted to give us a little bit better understanding. Um, I don't have these verses for, ...for the screen, this first couple, but it's out of the book of Romans, and this is this is probably my favorite book in the Bible, and for those of you who don't know, my wife, beautiful wife, does a thing called Ten Minutes with God, it's on the city, where she does kind of a review of the message and, and talks about the verses that, that were mentioned... This is so important, and, and Romans, is a, it's a lot of theology. So go to the city. Go to 10 Minutes with God. You'll get a good summary of the message and some thought-provoking questions, okay? I really recommend that. And, and this is what God says about us in Romans chapter 1. He says this, speaking about human beings and our culture. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness. See if this doesn't sound like the American culture here. Evil, greed, and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They're gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, But also approve of those who practice them. Now again, there's a tendency to think, oh, those are harsh words. And yeah, I can see that how how that applies to American culture. But I don't really think that applies to me. Well, let me start again and see if maybe you can grasp it a little bit more. Notice it begins with they have become filled with every kind of wickedness. It doesn't say you're acting out on it. What's in your heart? I dare say if I took your worst moments of the past two years and projected them on a screen, people in here would think, wow, that's a wicked, evil person. I know if you took my worst moments from the last two years, my worst thoughts, look, listen, my evil thoughts, greedy thoughts, murderous thoughts, how many times have you plotted revenge against somebody who's wronged you? How many times have you plotted something against a driver that's cut you off? <laughs> I know I have. Uh, greedy thoughts, evil thoughts. How many of you have contributed gossip and slander to this culture? You see, this American culture doesn't exist in a vacuum, folks. It is the sum total of all the thoughts, all the words, all the actions taken by everyone across America. You have contributed to it. And like I said, I think if I took every evil, angry, malicious thought and projected it on a screen that you had in the last two years, you would get a grasp. You'd begin to grasp how evil and wicked you are. Now, if you're still not convinced, let's hear what God says. This is in chapter 3 of Romans. There is no one righteous, not even one, righteousness of God is perfection, by the way. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. Now, you may say, well, wait a minute, I think I sought after God. I, I feel like I did. But Jesus himself said in John six forty four, he said, Jesus speaking, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him to me. You see, we're in such a cesspool of evil and wickedness, we, we didn't even have the capacity to seek God, but God in his grace started drawing us to Jesus. And so Romans tells us, God speaking, saying, no one seeks me. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Now, this is what we call really bad news. And it's made even worse as we begin to think of our sinfulness and wickedness. That means we're all guilty, right? We're guilty under God's law. Look at Proverbs 17, 15. Because this is what God says in Proverbs. He says, acquitting the guilty and condemning the innocent, the Lord detests them both. Now, I feel the weight of this verse a lot because I'm an attorney. Okay, I remember several years ago going to a very small town in Texas to to go to court in a case, and my client was suing a very prominent member of the community who, as it turns out, I didn't know at the time, was good friends with the judge. And you know what happened? Right from the beginning of that trial, every single decision the judge made was crooked and in favor of his friend was one of the most frustrating, disheartening things I've ever experienced. You cannot imagine how we look to justice to be just. And when it's not, it's so frustrating and disheartening. There's there's nothing that can be done about it. It was one of the worst experiences of my life. I had nothing but contempt and disrespect for that corrupt judge. Now, let's put a hypothetical there. What if you had a husband or a wife, or a mother, or a father, or a child who is brutally murdered. The case went to court. There was dozens of eyewitnesses, 100% clear that the defendant was guilty. And the judge said, not guilty. Your anger and your contempt, the disrespect you would have for the judge would be beyond measure. That's why, God says, those who acquit the guilty... He detests. So what about us? We're all guilty. Well, that's where what's called the good news comes in. And I think we have these verses. It's out of Romans 3. And it goes like this. I'm just going to read 21 and 22. But now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through grace, excuse me, through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. You see, there is a perfection that we cannot live up to. That's trying to follow the law. You see, some people say, every religion in the world is the same. That's just not true. Every other religion in the world is the same except Christianity. And let me explain why. Before I became a Christian, I studied Islam. I looked at Judaism, the Jewish faith. I looked at Buddhism. I looked at the Hindu faith. They all have the same thing in common, including the Jews. That's why Paul wrote here, there's a righteousness apart from the law. The Jews thought you could get righteous by following the law. They thought they could follow the Ten Commandments. And they realized they couldn't. And and if you're a Buddhist or if you're a Hindu or or if you're a Muslim, you try to follow the law and you begin to understand you can never follow it perfectly. And so all these teachers and all these other faiths are saying, well, do your best and maybe it's good enough. Folks, that's not good news the reason it's called the gospel, the reason it's called good news is because after Jesus' death and resurrection, the apostles went out around the world with news. They had news to share, news of a historical event. The event was that Jesus had died on the cross. He had taken our sin and punishment. He'd resurrected, and God would make anyone, declare anyone righteous who put their faith in Jesus. No more trying to follow the law. No more wondering if you were going to be good enough. You would get Jesus' righteousness assigned to you if you put your faith in Jesus. That is good news. Amen. No more law to follow. That is the gospel. But wait a minute. We we still have one problem left, don't we? If he assigns righteousness, what about acquitting the guilty? And maybe I can make this a little more personal. Personal. There's a character in the Bible, a man that we all love, named David. And throughout the Old Testament, God says, This is a man after my own heart. This is a man who's just and righteous. In fact, I love him so much. He is so righteous, I will make him a forefather of Jesus Christ. Jesus will come out of the line of David. Wow. Don't we know something else about David? There was a knight. He should have been at war. He spied a woman named Bathsheba and had her brought to him. Now, this is the king who had the power of life and death over everyone. This, in today's culture, the, the, basically, she had no choice in this matter. He at least seduced a married woman, if not used his power to to have sex with her against her consent, in a sense. She became pregnant. He then murdered her husband, Uriah, to cover up his sin. This is King David, a man after God's own heart, all throughout the Old Testament. He's a righteous man. Well, now let's go to the court's the cosmic courts of justice. God declaring David righteous, this wonderful human being. And up walks an old man named Eliam. Eliam happens to be the father of Bathsheba. And you can imagine Eliam saying, God, you are a corrupt Judge, David raped my daughter, impregnated her, and then murdered my son-in-law. And you are saying he's righteous? You are saying he's not guilty? You are corrupt. I have contempt for you. God's honor is at stake here. You have to feel the weight of this. Cosmic justice is in the balance. What is God's answer? And the reason I love this passage of Romans so much is because there is an answer. If we have those verses again, this is how those Romans 3, 20s continue. Beginning at verse 25, God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement, meaning Jesus, of course. God presented Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement through faith In his blood. And a sacrifice of atonement means... Another word was God propitiated. Jesus atoned or propitiated God's anger. You know what this means? It means God poured out his justice and his wrath on Jesus. He did this to demonstrate his justice. Because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand i.e. David's sins, unpunished. He did it, meaning the sacrifice of Jesus, to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Do you see that? That's why I started this message by saying that's the one concept I want you to take away from here. God is just. He never compromises his justice. Never. But he justifies. He declares us not guilty. How does he do that? Because Jesus bore the pain of our punishment. And so God could say to Eliam, Eliam, you are right. This was a horrific evil. You are right. My anger and my justice and my wrath needed to be poured out, and I would have poured it out on David, except, except there was one perfectly innocent one who was willing to take my anger and take my punishment and take my wrath, and take the penalty that David deserved. And that one was my son, Jesus Christ. And I did. Everything David deserved, I poured out on my son, Jesus. And so I can be just and the justifier. Now, this concept this concept of hell, this concept of God being just and the justifier, that's had ramifications throughout our history. This is one of the truths of our faith that has motivated incredibly loving actions. So I don't want you to leave here feeling down. Hell is something that, that it's just separation from God for those who don't want to accept the gift that God is offering but it is such a powerful and good thing that motivates good Christians. And one of my favorite examples is this a man named Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott was an amazing Christian man. Grew up, graduated from Wheaton College in the 40s, late 40s. And he was so moved by the idea that there were people around the world perishing apart from Jesus, going to hell, that he decided to go into the rainforests of Brazil and Ecuador and try to minister to tribes that had never heard the name of Jesus. And so Jim Elliott went with four friends, and they were going to go to see the Aka Indian tribe. The Akkas were known for being the most brutal tribe that anyone had ever encountered. They were were doing some exploration in that area for oil, Shell Oil Company, and and they were getting massacred. People would escape from the tribe. People who were born into that tribe would escape and said, there's no hope in that tribe. Everything is retribution. Everything is murder, no matter what the offense is. And that was the tribe, Jim Elliott and Nate Saint, and a couple other men decided to try to go reach with the gospel. And they were going to fly in there and land on this sandbar on the Amazon River in the jungles. And they had to decide, this is a brutal, warlike tribe. What are we going to do if they attack us? They brought a gun with them. They landed after having dropped some presents and tried to communicate that they were friendly. After they got out of their plane... They were swarmed by a group of Akka warriors and run through with spears and all killed and slaughtered, all five of them. They all left wives and children. Six months later, a couple of the women escaped from that tribe and made it to civilization where some of the wives were still there. And they said, yes, they were slaughtered. And you know what? The men of the tribe had no respect for them. They didn't even fight back. The wives went to the tribe and began to share their faith. And, and, and the tribe was moved that the wives of these men that were slaughtered would come in and share the faith of Jesus, the truth of Jesus. But some of the men were saying, we don't respect them. They didn't fight back. And it was then that the story came out. The night before they went and landed the plane, the men had a discussion. They brought a gun in case a jaguar or some animal attacked them. But the substance of that discussion was simply this. If those warriors attack and kill us, we know where we're going. We're going to heaven. But if we kill them, they're going to perish and go to hell. And they made the conscious decision not to fight back. When the people of the tribe heard that story, virtually every one of them became Christians. One of those who became a Christian is a man named Minkay. Minkay became an elder in the tribe Nate Saint, one of the men, slaughtered. His mother brought him back to the tribe and Minke adopted Nate Saint, his son, and actually performed his wedding. They were so moved that these men were so committed to the truth of hell that they wouldn't defend themselves that that's what moved this entire tribe to put their faith in Jesus. Folks, This is not an easy thing to teach, but I love, I love God. I love his character. And in full telling of truth, I have to say, you could all go to hell, but you don't have Because God is just and a justifier of those who put their faith in Jesus. If you have never put your faith in Jesus, why not today? Why not today? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. This is a hard truth, Father. Thank you for your character. Thank you for men like Jim Elliott who had such unshakable belief in your word and your character that they were willing to give their life to share your truth. Father, I I thank you that you're not a corrupt judge. Thank you that you don't just sweep things under the table, that you don't just look the other way, that you are just and the justifier